You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 533, were the 1980s music's greatest decade, the airbrushing out of Lennon and Harrison's solo albums, and pop stars who laugh at themselves. That's all coming up after 21 Pilots and Stressed Out. I wish I found some better sounds no one's ever heard. I wish I had a better voice to sing some better words. I wish I found some chords in an order that is new. I wish I didn't have to rhyme every time I sang. I was told when I get older all my fears would shrink. But now I'm insecure and I care what people think. My name's Blurry Face and I care what you think. My name's Blurry Face and I... We could turn back time to the good old days when the mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when the mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. was young how come i'm never able to identify where it's coming from i'd make a candle out of it if i ever found it try to sell it never sell out of it i probably only sell one maybe to my brother because we have the same nose same clothes homegrown a stone's throw from a creek we used to roam but it would remind us of when nothing really mattered out of student loans and treehouse homes we all would take the ladder my, my name's blurry face and i especially the album from which this was taken from the 2015 album Blurry Face. As a single, it reached number 12 in the UK, number two on Billboard, 21 Pilots and Stressed Out. One of those records that was enormous in America and has had a bit of a life over here, but it's it's one of those tunes where I I knew of that before I'd heard it, if you see what I mean. it was It's something you always read about everywhere, but I wasn't that familiar with it and I liked it. I thought it was good. 
Welcome to episode 533 mm. of the Parish Council. I'm Terence and She's a celebrity. Get her in here. It's Juliet Harris. Oh, very good. Yes. No bugs will be harmed in the making of this programme. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Whenever there's a, a, a debate around what's the best de- decade for something or other, it's always a little bit spurious because years are somewhat arbitrary and that life, music, art, events, they don't actually have the discipline to fall into neat 10-year categories. Mm. It's arguable that the 1960s didn't actually begin until the death of John Kennedy and the Beatles mm. arrived in America six months later in 1964, just as the USA needed a lift. That's the start of the 60s, maybe. When did the 60s become the 70s? Watergate, 72, glam rock, mm. the breakup of the Beatles, death of Elvis. The writer, Dylan Jones, was born in 1960 and so perhaps unsurprisingly argues that the (laughs) 1980s were the most radical, innovative and creative decade in the history of pop music. And with that in mind, he's currently presenting on BBC television a short series called The 80s, Music's Greatest Decade. And they they put a question mark at the end of that title. Jules, Jules. Born in 1984, and having watched the first episode in this series, were the 80s music's greatest decade? Well, my first contribution to the debate is that it's pronounced decade. But anyway, we move past that. <laughs> say, Do you know, so my I... mother, who's from Ireland, she used to say decade. Decade. Uh, she, oh, I quite she, like that. She used to say a ducat of the rosary. And for, oh, for years, we, we children that. didn't know what she was talking about. She's saying, oh, I'm just going to go and say a ducat. What, oh, what on earth are you talking brilliant. about? That so is decade, 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 decade. Yeah, tomato, tomato, other. <laughs> yeah, so, so <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted by that. Thank you. Mm. Um, I enjoyed watching this. I mean, I was only uh, literally around for for 60 percent of the 80s. And even then, perhaps arguably not not properly. Who knows? But um, yeah, I've, I found it interesting to watch. You've nailed it already when this is David Hepworth syndrome again, and for, you know, who, who we like very much when we talked about his 1971 book and TV series and how he's like, this is the greatest time and I can prove it. And isn't it strange that everyone's greatest time for music is when they're in their late teens and early 20s? Yeah, it's it's, so it's in the eye. It's in the eye of the beholder, I think, to some extent. I didn't quite buy... I didn't quite buy the 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 argument that it was the best decade in the sense that it changed everything that had gone before it. But I, th- I found I was quite interested in the fact that it developed things that were already in motion, I think. So there was a... I, th- I thought it was a reasonably well put together documentary. I mean... It it was the the footage in it was great and they had some really interesting talking heads as well. Not always the same talking heads. I, I enjoyed hearing from Mark Moore very much from S Express. I thought he was great. And I'll talk a little bit about somebody else I enjoyed in a minute. But I I always find Dylan Jones stuff a little bit. I mean, there was I I, I watched with my notepad as I like to do now today, so I can tell you things. And um I just I I mean, I, I don't dislike the man, but I always find his I always find him a bit clunky when he's talking about things, and uh, presumably he was in charge of writing the writing the voiceover. I I work on that basis that he was, and he, there was a section about um sort of the the production sound. It was quite well organising that you had different sections of the program talking about different things. And you had the production sounds of the eighties. I don't always think the put the stuff they picked was was great and that it just all sounded very big i didn't i didn't think they were excellent at kind of distinguishing between the different sounds it rather undermined 
undermine their argument a bit. But I did, I did like the bit where they were talking about Nile Rogers and uh, and how he produced um, <laughs> he produced like a prayer and uh, Dylan Jones's voiceover when Madonna wanted to make her new album. She knew who to call and it wasn't the Ghostbusters. Oh, I mean, it was that, full, that was it so was, clunky. It was it was oh. full. I mean, it, they weren't all that bad, but there were a few uh. moments like that where you just thought, I did enjoy this because it, it, the the points that it was making live aid the section on live aid it wasn't the first big charity gig that was george uh george harrison's concert for bangladesh that we've talked about previously mm. but it was it, it, everything was more in the 80s so i don't think necessarily that there were that many innovations in the 80s although you could argue the biggest change that it made to the world was the technology and the impact that that's had on music that was an enormous thing but when he was dylan jones was talking about things as if it was like kind of oh you know there was all these different types of music with different subcultures yes we had those in the 60s and the 70s they existed then we had mods and rockers and glam rockers and punks subcultures not a new thing to the 80s so we had this huge you know worldwide concert yeah we did have that with bangladesh it was just it was televised more um you know i i found it a little bit sort of um again there's the syndrome oh you know i experienced these things for the first time so these were the first this was the first time any of these things ever experienced i did get a little bit eye rolly at that having said that there were really good things about this documentary it does sound like i'm just moaning all the way through there were some great things they they talked to some really interesting people i thought who you often don't get there have been so many of these clip shows now and these kind of documentaries i mean friday night on bbc4 is full of stuff like this but it's not full of stuff about the fall it's not full of stuff about um about the cookie crew i thought the section on the british female hip-hop crews was brilliant i i didn't know much about them it was lovely to see the cookie crew being interviewed and moni love being talked about and the uh the we the we go the we go rappers they were great i thought it was really good in that it 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 sort of showed how lots of stuff was more diverse and i think the 80s the big victory for the 80s was diversity i think and they were talking about the clubs in the west end and how towards the end of the 80s and it was in, they made a, a very interesting distinction um i think mark moore made the point of sort of pre-live aid and post-live aid and how live aid had, had this kind of weird corollary and that bands that had appeared on it and a bit tasted world success all of a sudden everyone wanted to be world famous so everyone got really professional and all of the interesting music suddenly became really quite boring for a bit and you could make an argument when we we're talking about you said in the intro really well how you could have you know is there such a thing as a long 60s a short 70s where decades don't always work or decades or decades don't always work from <laughs> from 80 80 to 89 and you could argue really that the 80s might have finished and the 90s might have started in 88 people always use when i used to play s express the infamous express out people would always be surprised when they'd say what year was this and you'd go well wait till the record stop because then i can look at this and look at the center <laughs> and then you'd tell them it was 88 and people would be really surprised they'd have that pegged to the 90s record and it was interesting how acid house sort of starting off you forget that that is 80s i just lumped that all in with the 90s and it's not and it was it was really i think good at making that argument it was also excellent from my perspective my interest you could argue that indie would not exist without the 80s there was a really i thought it was really good the point they made that indie music really did start in the 80s yes some of it might have been influenced by the jangle pop of the birds but indie as a thing wasn't there until the 80s and that's in a way you could argue that's the 80s biggest impact i think in terms of the i don't think six music would exist without the without the 80s i think it's, it's had a huge cultural impact and it was good on politics and the 80s i think were, were the times when politics and music 
again, politics and music wasn't a new relationship, but I think it took on a really new dimension in the 80s that was really interesting. And the gay rights stuff was great as well. And I think I'll finish on the best point I think anyone made. Mm. The excellent Sarah J. Morris, who had to care a slight personal interest in that she lives in Hastings and I know a little bit and we, we chat occasionally if I see her. And she's really nice. And she was lovely in talking about Don't Leave Me This Way. And I haven't seen her talk on many things. And she made a really good point drawing parallels to now. She made a parallel between sort of the, the the gay culture of the 80s and, of course, the, the you know, HIV and people losing their friends and with COVID and sort of post-COVID times. And she said, you want to turn it all into a party to forget. And I thought that was such a shrewd comment that was that showed the sort of how, you know, there's nothing new under the sun and the more things change, the more they stay the same. But it was a, it was a very engaging watch. Yes, there were times where I rolled my eyes, but I thought it covered a lot of ground in an hour. The sections really helped in that, I think. And, and I, I they talked about some stuff that you don't often hear about. So actually... I very much enjoyed it. Also worth the asking price alone for Brick Smith Starts impression of a Marky Smith giving the full direction. If you haven't watched it, it's worth watching for that alone. He really did sound like that. I I sort of enjoyed this hour of the yeah. 80s, but I would probably enjoyed it more if it had just been an hour of clips, I'm afraid. I, yes. I don't mean to be offensive, but do we really need another bald white man telling us all about the yeah. influence of hip hop? Um, probably not is the answer. Um, yeah, once again, the roll call of talking heads. Um, uh, two, I've, I found two of them were noteworthy and made positive contributions. Bobby Gillespie, I thought, was on good yes, form. Yes, he was good, actually. In particular, I picked out Brick Smith because yes. well, it, it could be argued that uh, she was the making of Marky e. Smith and brought him closer to mainstream popularity. Yes. And, would have seemed possible, but she, you know, she made her points very, very yeah, she was good. with, you know, very articulate. Um, although, yeah, points in this documentary were well made. You would, you have had to have needed to have just arrived on this planet not to know that the <laughs> advent of MTV brought a revolution yes. to the presentation of pop it got, music. It got better as it went along, I think. The start of it with that was like being hit with a hammer, yeah. and then as it kind of got into itself and got more interesting, it was better. But yes, the beginning bit was a little bit, you know. Uh, and also, I felt, you know, yeah. the launch of the Walkman and subsequently CDs had a yes. sizable impact. Well, yes, we, we know this. We know um, this, yeah. Yeah, we zipped through Live Aid, Trevor Horn, Blitz Club, Acid House. I, I maybe I was a little bit older. I, I didn't learn anything new. The most poignant moment was mm. a recently filmed interview with Astro and Ali Campbell of UB40, yes. broadcasting the very week that Astro died. So, oh um, gosh, yes, yeah, that that, that sort of uh, made made one sort of sit up really. Yeah, this show was okay. Um, the eighties were the decade of live aid <laughs> producers, MTV and the Walkman. You know, okie dokie. Yeah, I, I mean, the point I was making was that there was some stuff that you you hear less of. I mean, I don't mm. think I've ever seen the cookie crawl on any. No, of these, the, I agree with you. That, that yeah, that uh, section was the, the was the most positive. Was of all, ge- was ge- was genuinely the most mm. interesting, I think. And you don't see the fall on very much either. So no. so actually, it was it was it was okay. I mean. It's good at an entry level thing and it told some stories that are a little bit more interesting. Um, but yes, it was it was parts of it were annoyingly clunky. How do you say it? Decayed? Decade. Decade. So the <laughs> 80s music's greatest decade um, yes, with well Dylan done. Jones, <laughs> thank you, is on BBC Two <laughs> and it's available for at least the next year on the BBC iPlayer. Coming right up, Lennon v. Harrison v. McCartney. Oh, yes. And that's next after, with their 80s hair synths and drum machines, Alphaville. 
one top 75 hit for these this lot and that was it but that is a, that's a song that i think has grown in stature over time i think again i was quite surprised i don't recall hearing it in this documentary and it's the sort of thing that you always get blasted over these things but i i, I love the way that this thrums along and also i did quite well by uh, uh last weekend we spoke about uh i've been away i went to a buzzer quiz and i did manage to buzz in on alphaville's only top 75 hits so for that reason alone i needed to pick it for the podcast but i do rather like that that is alphaville and big in japan that chorus stays with you doesn't it, it, does. it is, yeah i remember this was constantly on the radio when it was yes. released and that production is so sort of wonderfully 1980s so, yeah. it is i'm surprised that they weren't bigger really off the back of that mm. Mm. in japan many, or indeed elsewhere yeah. well, yes <laughs> many people still believe to this day that imagine was john lennon's first mm. solo album but that isn't so back in 1968 and 69 he and yoko they actually recorded three albums, and we're going to focus on the first two because in the same vein, it's often held that George Harrison's first solo album was All Things Must Pass, but he too released a couple of solo albums before that. So we thought we might see how they squared up against Paul's first two solo albums, McCartney and Ram. Well, let's look at John first. The initial album with Yoko comes from that, the, the infamous time when John invited Yoko to Weybridge while Cynthia was on holiday. Cynthia walks back in and finds Yoko wearing her dressing gown, Cynthia's dressing gown, and sitting cross-legged, staring into John's eyes. So this album was recorded at Kenwood, Bearing in mind, this is the man who only a year or two before had written A Hard Day's Night, Ticket to mm. Ride, Help, Tomorrow Never Knows and Rain. So before we ask Juliet what she made of the uh, two John and Yoko albums, let's hear a 15 second clip only from Unfinished Music <laughs> number promise. one to the <laughs> Yes. You may feel 15 seconds was enough. Um, <laughs> avant-garde enough for you, Jules? Oh, man. I mean, I th- I mean that could just be my whole review, really. I, I, I want to make the point before I do give my views on this that actually I'm not one of these people that is totally anti-Yoko Ono. And actually, mm. I think that... Um, one of the best records that John Lennon was ever involved in making, I think, was with Yoko. Walking on Thin Ice is fantastic. I absolutely love that track. It is brilliant. His production is incredible. It's a it's a great tune. I'm not anti Yoko per se. I am anti these two records. I mean, I, I think the point that I'm that I'm probably going to make, and I'll make it again when we when we get to Paul's records, mm. is that. These records were very much a side project whilst the Beatles were still going on rather than necessarily being post Beatles. And it's just people mucking about, isn't it, really? And it's not even mucking about. I mean, it, it reminds me of when I went to sixth form college. I remember having a guitar in my hands once and talking to a non-musician friend. And I remember scraping my finger across one of the, the strings well, sort of idly. And after a while, she went, Julia, if you're going to play the guitar, can you at least play a tune? And I feel exactly <laughs> about these two records. There's there's very little meat. In, well, Doris, Doris, the lunch lady from The Simpsons, there's very little meat in these, Jim Matt. There's 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 very little to these records really that that you know it's just uh, 
it's just a just a succession of sounds and and you know wailing and there's there's not a lot in these records that I mean I don't even consider them to be records it's just a load of stuff that happened just a load of noises that were brought together I I don't I don't find a lot in this in either of these either two virgins or as I've started calling it the Lion King because Mm. I just can't even remember what it's called a life with the lions actually I'm just I, I know I don't even know what to say I just I just can't find anything in them that that I mean it wasn't even it wasn't even it bad interest it it wasn't even interesting bad it was just bad they they really are terrible and an embarrassment and of course an incredible rip off for any Beatles fans that yes. at the time naively would have gone into the yes. store and said oh my goodness and sort of a new you know Beatles John Lennon's uh, record. got an album out yeah exactly. exactly but the strange thing is one memory that has stayed with me. Mm. Oh, over 50 years um, is I remember at the time this the the, um, the two virgins and Life of the Lions were both you know absolutely terrible reviews. And yeah, but I remember a young, really young boy writing to it was either the Melody Maker or the New Musical yeah. Express at the time, and I remember his letter, and he he sort of said how much he enjoyed um the album and thought you know this is great mm. and his mum had said to him are you sure you want to spend your you know record token on this mm. and he said yes and it was published and i remember that um apple got in touch and i think mm. john and yoko signed like loads and loads oh, of wow. stuff and they sent him all the beatles records and all that sort of that's thing amazing. so for that young man it was quite a useful investment um that's that's very sweet actually yeah, <laughs> like, that, that goes that. to show it goes to show how how universal it must have been fan that one person that wrote a letter to a newspaper got loads of stuff that is that's a sign that that was badly received <sighs> It's just terrible. They're, they're unlistenable. I mean, you, you know, you can yeah, you can try are, them yeah. on Spotify because they're both both on Spotify. But you'll find yourself just thinking, well, I'll scroll along a bit and see if it gets better. Or I'll scroll along a bit. I'll, and before I'll, I'll, you get, know to, it, I'll get to it when it gets going. And of course, it never gets never going, does. does it? George, meanwhile, turned out two solo albums before All Things Must Pass. I mean, firstly, Wonderwall Music, um, the first solo album by any Beatle and, and the soundtrack to a movie called Wonderwall. Mm. Um, that's all instrumentals. And he Followed up a few months later with Electronic Sound, which um, is described again as avant-garde. It's two long pieces constructed by fiddling around on a Moog synthesizer. Rolling Stone at the time called it Utter Bull dot 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 dot. Mm. Meanwhile, Paul is recording McCartney One with Every Night and Maybe I'm Amazed and Mm. Ram with Too Many People, Uncle Albert, Mm. Backseat of My Car and so on. Um, McCartney number two in the UK, number one in America, Ram one in the UK, two yeah. in the States. Jules, you have a year in solitary confinement and you're allowed two of these six <laughs> albums to take with you. Which will you choose? I mean, really, the correct answer is the two McCartney records because yeah. they're both great. Having said that, if I was ranking them in a league table, George's yeah. two albums go in the middle, I think, between yeah. between uh, Paul's and, and John's. And actually, I, I think it's to some extent it's the circumstances in which you listen, because I decided I quite like some avant-garde music. I know I've just mm. completely kicked into into uh, John and Yoko, but there's some avant-garde music that I genuinely really, really enjoy. And so I thought, 
electronic sound what i'll do is i'll just i'll i'll pop the um I'll pop the, uh, the 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 lights off, and I'll just you know if I do listen to it, I've got music. I just really like to lie on my sofa sometimes and listen to it. And I just thought, oh, you know, I, I'll um I'll give this a go and see what happens. And I have to say, it's not the most eventful thing you will ever hear. Electronic sound. I quite liked it. I I would probably. I know this is very very unusual, and I suspect that you will not agree with me, but. I I you know I, I I'm not sure how many times I'd listen to it, but. I, I thought it was reasonably serviceable avant-garde music, actually. As, as, as I say avant-garde music, but that's not a contradiction in terms. But um, I I mean, the Wonderwall, I think the, the biggest criticism you could level at Wonderwall was that it was very slight because it was the soundtrack for a film. And that was, mm. that was you know, again, Horses for Courses. It's not in the same league of badness as, as John and Yoko. And actually, although Electronic Sound had some has lots of weirdness to it and again if you're scrolling forward for the tune you're going to be disappointed having said that mm. i just i just found it a bit more interesting than john and yoko i could at least see what it was trying to achieve i'm not saying it's the greatest avant-garde record ever made it clearly isn't but i didn't mind electronic sound so much i thought i thought it was a bit more interesting and uh, by the way i've just been looking this up there was a, a soundtrack that I very much, uh, an album that I very much enjoyed, a compilation album that came out a while ago. That's called Underground London, um, art music and free jazz that that inspired the sixties, and it's got various uh, weird things on it. And actually, I think that electronic sound would, was some of the stuff, and that would fit in all right on that. Actually, there is a Ravi Shankar track that is twenty four minutes long, which you know, yeah, I, I get it, but <laughs> but um, it's um. Yeah, I, so I thought that Avant, that the, the electronic sound was a bit more interesting than the other records. Yes, it's not, you know, it's, it hasn't got Uncle Albert or Backseat of McCartney, and therefore it's not as good as McCartney's records because it's doing a different thing. But having said that, I did feel that at least George was trying to do something on his records, even if it wasn't the melodic rush of McCartney, and and I, I found that less contemptible than two people than two millionaires just asking around, which is what the other records were. <laughs> Yeah, I I'm, I'm probably listened to the George Harrison ones in the wrong circumstances because yes. I listened to the two John and Yoko ones and scrolled through them, and then I listened to Wonderwall and I kind of scrolled to that. And I think by the time it came to um, <laughs> your patience, my, yeah, my patience think, was at yes. a breaking point. Yeah, so I probably could listen to it again in the circumstances that you described, maybe with the sort of lights lowered and and that just was chilling and that out. was that 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 is a bit that's I think that's the best circumstance mm. in which to listen to that. Really, it's not a sing along in the car one i'm afraid no but of course what all this goes to prove is that it was always paul and it always <laughs> <lovely>. <laughs> i mean or at least you know he wrote music that was more accessible in a way i admire george for 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 giving something a bit different a go but again i think those george albums were released before the beatles split up properly hadn't they really and again yeah, absolutely they, they were, were just yeah. they were just outlets to do and in a way perhaps that's why they're so willfully obscure because yeah. they were they had you know they had the time the studio time the money the resources to go off and do something that wasn't the beatles and just muck about and maybe that's what they really wanted to do to get as far away from the beatles as possible whereas when mccartney released those solo records that was his main outlet and you yeah. could say his main meal ticket they had to be hits they didn't have the luxury of you know releasing whatever you want and it doesn't matter if it, if you don't do well you know his his career his continued career was riding on them and maybe that's why they're better very fair point coming next pop stars mm. some take themselves <laughs> too seriously some have the ability to have a bit of a laugh at themselves that's right after earworm alert ella mm. may yeah yeah 
Go because it's often mm. swirling around in my mind, and although yeah. she's English, she's had far more success in the States as a single. This reached 52 over here, but number five on the Billboard Hot 100 from 2018. LMA and Boot Up. Mm, that's great. I I wasn't hugely familiar with that, but yes, that's been rattling around my brain ever since. Yeah. Cheers, Terence. <laughs> yeah. 
Actually, looking back to that first John and Yoko album, Unfinished Music Number One, leaving aside the point that never mind unfinished music, maybe it would have been better unstarted music. But um, John certainly took the album seriously. In an interview in 1968, he said that he believed, uh, quote, the album can change people to change people's heads. And a lot of musicians take themselves very seriously. If you've ever seen David Furnish's film of Elton, um, Tantrums mm, and Tiaras, oh dear, yes. you get the impression. Come across very well in that. <laughs> no, you get the impression is Elton's quite a serious downbeat mm. fellow. Same with Phil Collins, you know, yelling Susudio and, you know, Mama into a microphone. Seems like a very grave, weighty mm. affair for him. Bono, of course, Sting. Yes. So to balance that out, Jules, you've been looking into examples of pop stars who make light of themselves. Yes. And in a way, I kind of find this as annoying as people that take themselves <laughs> seriously, which just goes to show that you can never win. Yeah. I quite like people who just are. They're my favourite sort of people. Mm. Just be yourselves. And this this piece, um, which is, I believe, from The Telegraph. I'm just double checking where it's from. Um, uh, the Independent, sorry. This piece from The Independent. Um talking about a sort of a generation of particularly male kind of almost soft rock stars that I think they're trying to have it both ways. They make this terribly drippy music and then they sort of wink and muck about and, and, and slag themselves off. And so it's a bit having a cake and eating it for me, really. I, I'm, I'm a little bit cynical of this. But, um, yeah, the examples that are given are James Blunt, who, um, fun fact, I saw him play Nottingham Rock City in 2006. <laughs> but, oh, okay. um, yes, when he was still, you know, it was it, mm. we bought we got tickets easily to, to see him yeah. play there, back to Bedlam and come out. And to be fair, me and my friends have played that record a lot and I actually quite enjoyed it. And I do secretly like his first album. But he was given, I think, unfair levels of, of, of mm. abuse over the years. But is now you know a, a very much a sort of a comedy mocks himself all the time and and you know his his autobiography how to be a complete blunt which came out in 2020 you know he's very much into sort of negging on himself as is well michael buble tries to um josh groban who now just seems to be some sort of i, I didn't even realize that he properly made music all i ever do is see all i ever see him is you know taking the mickey mickey out of himself whilst playing a bit of piano on the one show or graham norton those these people seem to have sort of turn themselves into kind of traveling clowns really and part of me thinks again it feels like they're having their cake and eating it either make good music or i don't know i i just find it a little bit kind of i find it a bit performative really i think that's the term that i'm looking for yes i'm all for people not being up their own rear ends but equally i don't know i find this kind of constant sort of teasing and clowning around to be a bit sad really and and to not it, I feel that lacks that lacks that lacks integrity, and I know that it feels like people can't win with me because if people posture all the time, I find that really tedious. But I think there is a way to kind of to to be able to be serious but not not up your own. For example, the, the the example you gave of a good talking head, Bobby Gillespie was quite serious on that on that um that that eighties. Decades, 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 whatever program. He was he was quite serious on that. Yeah, I didn't feel he took himself too seriously. I thought what he had to say was sincere and interesting. And I don't think people should be... I think people should have a sense of humour about them. But this constant kind of, oh, aren't I awful? Oh, aren't I silly? Oh, please still buy my records. I find I just I find that really annoying, I must admit. And I find it I find it it goes too far. And I feel that 
you know, it, it's just become about that for some of these artists now. So, so I'm sorry that people feel they can't win, but there is this sort of, um, I, I get that by laughing at yourself, no one else can laugh at you, but I, I find that sort of sad and, and depressing and a bit of a turn off really. I'm not so into it. Perhaps it's all about keeping life in perspective. I was remembering yes. in the early stages of their careers, um, Gilbert O'Sullivan dressed as a schoolboy to sing Ooh, Nothing Rhymed. And Leo Sayer, um, mm. I won't let the show go on, he he was dressed as a sort of a pyro or clown. Yes, um, I remember that. In the promos. For that. Listening to All I Could Bear of Rod Stewart's new single this week brought back to me again. Um, and I think it's related to this, how dangerous it is for a pop star's career when they get so famous and have yes. so much power and influence that no one around them is able to say, you know, you sure about this? Yeah, and, exactly. Um, I think that's um, often the case as well with these grumpy people is that yes. they've got no one brave enough around them or in a position of uh, security to say, you know, lighten up, mate. You know, it's a exactly. short way to get on. This, but, or, or this I, isn't I think, good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think a little bit differently to you. I think James Blunt mm. in particular and Michael Bublé, Daniel O'Donnell, they get it right because if you become a sort of figure of fun and you then embrace it, you may well come through the other side with your yeah, career that's still going true. up. Yeah. But if you become self-absorbed and crotchety yes. about it, like John Lydon, like Phil Collins, yeah, true. then it's such a bad look that people yes, I, just true. think, oh, I don't want to listen to this person anymore, you know? Yeah, fair enough. I, I, yeah, you, you slightly converted me there. Yeah, I, th I think you can have too much of a good thing on that. But, but yeah, no, I, I agree. It is, it is. If you have a bit of a lightness about that, then that is, that is, that is a better thing. I think the the ultimate example of, um, I, I think a good example actually of someone that, although we've, we've talked about him a little bit on the podcast, but not everything he's done in his life has always covered him in glory. But I think that Dave Grohl is quite a good example of someone that can tease himself a bit. And I mean, for Record Store Day, I think recently him and the Foo Fighters released a disco album as the DGs or an yes, EP as the DGs. Yes, and actually, that was quite good because yes. I felt, sensed it was them having fun, yet equally it wasn't too much. I thought it was a good balance. So I think that Dave Grohl is quite good at sort of being an easygoing guy and not taking himself too seriously but equally not having this kind of constant mugging to the camera I, I think he's a good kind of midway option for me I think yeah I think so too I read his um autobiography recently and it, it, it he has got that balance between yeah um being sort of light-hearted about everything but also uh still being a, a serious musician and in um yeah. you know embracing all that that involves <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening this week. Yes, um, thanks as always. Lots of love. If it's if it's a Sunday evening mm. and I'm yearning to hear <laughs> some more Juliet Harris, what can I do? Oh, well, there is something you can do. You can pop to Mixler, M-I-X-L-R dot com and search the words Juliet Harris. You will find my uh, little channel and live 79 on Sunday evenings. You can hear me playing you some lovely smooth sailing records, which is yacht rock and uh, classic pop, easygoing stuff, just to bring a little bit of a uh, light to a Sunday evening, 7 till 9. And if you click the show reel button on my page, you can find um, Smooth Sailing's Passim. I love this track we're playing out with, but I confess I hadn't heard it before and I hadn't even heard of the band. 
Oh well, that is interesting. Mm. I do like to I do like to bring new things to you where I can. I really and actually, like I, I'd heard of them, but I wasn't hugely familiar with them. And again, Apple Music throwing radio things at me. This may have been on a '90s Lost alternative playlist or something. Um, band called Tuscadero, who I wasn't particularly familiar with, but this is the sort of riot girl sort of indie leaning sort of up upbeat sort of music that I could probably eat all day and night. Frankly, I I love this kind of stuff. It is so it's uh, relevant to my interest as my friend would say uh, these are Tuscadero and uh, this this tune is called Queen for a Day there must be something about you baby that made you so fine well you are just listening to a Parish Council production.